Welcome to Everything is Better Than You Think, a podcast where we focus on mental health, spirituality, and overall well-being. If you're seeking a higher quality of life or just looking for some practical ways to deal with anxiety and depression, you've come to the right place. And now, let's get on to today's episode. Yes, hello everyone. Rick Johns here with my brother Will Johns, and welcome to episode two of our gratitude season. And I'm here with my brother who wrote a book called Everything is Better Than You Think How Gratitude Can Transform Your Life on Amazon.com. Anyway, Will, <laughs> what are we talking about today? So today we are talking about the barriers to gratitude. If any of you listeners have ever tried to practice gratitude, you know it doesn't come easily. I wish I could say it was simple. Uh, however, if it was, then no one would need my book. So uh, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> it's it is challenging. There are, there are significant barriers, significant obstacles that get in the way when we try to practice gratitude. And so, Rick, before we dive into that, you are very familiar with overcoming obstacles because of some of your background with Spartan races. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about some of those obstacles and that they'll provide kind of a, a, a metaphor for, for what we're looking at today. Yeah, that is true. I did a number of obstacle course races, mainly the Spartan ones. I did a few others, but man... It's kind of fun when you're geared up for it, but in real life, obstacles are not so fun. <laughs> but Spartan, <laughs> what I liked is they did surprise you. They did test you to the max. They tried to make it something you wouldn't expect. I remember one time I was setting up a Spartan course the day before the race, and if you volunteered, they would give you a free race, so that's what I was doing. And the guy showed me this obstacle I'd never seen, and we were putting hay down behind it, and it was like this big slanted wall, probably 12 feet in the air. And he said to me, oh, yeah, we're going to run up the wall. It's kind of slanted, so you could kind of try to run up it. And then we put hay on the back, so you jump off into the hay. And I said, okay. Well, when I came to that obstacle in the race the next day, the person standing by the obstacle, I started to try to run up the wall. And they said, no, 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 you have to start from the back. I'm like, what? Like from the back. And the guy had tricked me, and so I had to climb up an inverted wall, go oh, up the back, man. and then I was so annoyed and perplexed by the change that when I was sliding down the front of it, I twisted my ankle at the bottom and ran the rest of the race with a twisted ankle. And part of, I think, why that happened was... I had a bad attitude because I was like, wait, that guy lied to me. And now I got to, like, I had in my mind how I was supposed to do that obstacle because I thought I had an advantage yeah. by seeing the yeah, obstacle the yeah, day before. Yeah. And it totally threw me through a loop. And I think that's a lot like this gratitude. There are things that happen. You're trying to be positive. You're trying to do well in life. Mm. Something hits you and all of a sudden the gratitude's out the window. Yes. Yeah, That that is exactly right, Rick. It really comes down to focus. Mm. What do we end up focusing on? And I, I love this uh, verse uh, quoting Jesus from Matthew 6, 22 and 23. It's one I didn't understand for a while until I started studying gratitude, where he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Mm. And that kind of reminds me of like 
that's what it is if we focus on gratitude. Yeah. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your yes. whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Like if we're if we're focused on the negative, yeah. Then uh, then it's darkness. Everything's gonna be bad. If you're in the darkness, focus on the darkness. Don't look to the light. Then all you got is darkness. And yeah. that's pretty profound by Jesus. I mean, I love how he put, like, you had to write a whole book, he put it in one sentence. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the difference in the, the wisdom of the two teachers there. But speaking of focusing on the negative, uh, Will, why are you such a negative person after doing all this research? <laughs> I have some uh, justified excuse based on the research, and that is that I found out that our human brains automatically default to focusing on the negative. Mm. And uh, so if you struggle with that, you're not alone. This is, there's a ton of research out that uh, when our minds are not actively engaged in the present moment, then when they're just kind of wandering, they will find problems. They will find fault with, we'll find fault with ourselves, with other people, or with our life situation. Mm. And part of that is just your brain is trying to solve problems in its, quote, downtime. So like this tends to happen to me if I'm like just driving in the car and say I don't have any music on, it's just quiet or whatever, and my mind's just wandering. All of a sudden I could just feel like lousy. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, why why am I feeling lousy? And then I kind of trace my thoughts back and I realize, oh, I'm... I'm thinking about a problem. Yeah, yeah, the focus on the negative. Yep. That's our default. Uh, I went through a time in my life, at least a year, year and a half, almost two years really, where even in my religious experience, I really became focused on the negative aspects. And it was a very kind of legalistic, judgmental time for me. And I only bring that up because those that are religious and spiritual listening to this it can happen in a religious context. Yes. I started seeing how, you know, my friends weren't doing what they were supposed to. The world was, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. You know, everything was wrong. Everything was evil. The devil was here. The devil was there. The devil was in this friend, that friend. I remember at that time in my life, and this is back when I was young, I wrote a letter to a friend uh, who lived in another uh, city miles away. This is before iPhones and all that. For the kids, they don't understand that, but that was the only way to communicate. So I wrote this letter, and my my letter that I got back a couple of weeks later said, hey, Rick, thanks for writing me, but next time could you send a letter and not a sermon? <laughs> <laughs> because I was just, you know, waxing eloquent about all the terrible things in this world and how we needed to do more and better and we don't measure up and, you know, all this stuff. And we can see it, Will, right in the church where people can get really focused, even good, well-meaning Christians, on this negative. Yeah, it it can um, pervade a religious experience. Typically, in a religious context, the focus on the negative turns to judgment. Mm. And uh, not surprising, just a few verses later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Judge not that you'd be not judged. Yeah, you know? yeah. Don't don't focus on the negative of other people, essentially. Yeah. But for those in a religious context, for those who uh, value the Bible as their spiritual book, 
The Bible has over 400 passages of Scripture telling us to be grateful. Mm, wow. So it's loaded. I had no idea until I did the research that there was that much of a focus from Scripture. So, Will, I have a good friend who is a notorious worrier, kind of pessimist, skeptic. He knows it, and he kind of plays with it and makes fun of it. And he started a series of posts on Facebook called The Worrier's Handbook. And here's one of the quotes that he, he put that I think really summarizes this. He says, If there's nothing wrong, then there's definitely something wrong. The Warrior's <laughs> Handbook man- mantra. <laughs> yeah, that, that really sums it up, you know, is that, that feeling that, you know, there's always something that's not going to work out, you know, the way we want it to. And, and it reminds me of um, Kayla's story. She had attended one of the gratitude seminars that I taught uh, many years ago. And um, she came back to the class and she told this story about her birthday where she was planning uh, to go with a group of her friends to this special restaurant and they they were going to have um, some live jazz music that evening. She was very excited about doing this for her friends. Their friends were excited to celebrate her birthday with her. And then she found out that they were only going to be playing blues music and not jazz. And so she said, ah, well, we can't do that. Uh, Let's look around. She tried to find another restaurant with some live jazz music. She couldn't find it. This frustrated her so much that she finally texted all her friends and said, guys, um, I don't want to do anything tonight. I can't find, you know, a good restaurant to go to. And once she texted that, she was feeling awful. Wow. Just terrible, you know. Thoughts like, you know, poor me, you know, I'm alone on my birthday, Mm. Uh, nothing, you know, ever goes my way. Mm. And then she thought about gratitude and she'd just been in, in, in the class. And so that was fresh on her mind. And she started saying, wait a second, I can also be grateful in this moment. And I've got good friends and that's good. And I've got another year of life, and that's a blessing. And she started to to feel better because she started focusing on gratitude. And then she realized, wait a second, I've got good friends that want to spend this evening with me. Hmm. And so she texted them again, and she said, you know what? Let's keep the same plan, go to the same restaurant. Um, who cares if it's blues instead of jazz? Hmm. And... Uh, and so she did. She had a blast. She had an incredible time. Wow. And it just shows you the razor's edge in our yeah. own mind between what we focus on and then how that affects the choices we make. Yeah. Yeah. As you're telling the story, and I'm sure all of our listeners, we can all relate to that story. All of us have had our moment where we went from zero to 60 of, <laughs> oh, this is not working well, to it's all ruined. Yeah. And yeah. and I can picture her just sitting there. I'm all alone. My birthday sucks. I can't believe it. And we don't see how we helped create yeah. that nightmare yes. scenario. Like the first scenario was disappointing, yeah. but she changed her attitude. And wow, she found out, hey, blues music worked. We had a good time. She realized it was about the friends anyway, yeah. not the music. You know, yeah. and uh, that's a good story. And that's what gratitude can do. It can it can shift us, get us past this barrier 
of focusing on the negative. Now, I wish I could say this was the only barrier, Rick, but uh, I, there are two more. This this first one might be the toughest. Okay. But there's two more that are also very substantial. Yeah, barrier number two, this one, when I first read it in your book, Will, just really amazed me because it's so counterintuitive. But once you see it, you can't unsee it. Mm. And it's called the discomfort of joy. That when we experience joy, we actually start feeling very nervous or vulnerable. So tell us more about that, Will. Yeah, I mean, you would think when we're experiencing joy, uh, that should be helping us, you know, be more grateful. Like that, that right. the experience of joy is like, yes, success. I've, I've made it. I'm, you know, everything's good. But when we feel good, then we feel vulnerable because we start thinking, but what if I lose this? Yeah. What if I lose the thing that's that I'm feeling good about? Um, you know, and and just like um, your quote from your friend earlier, the Warrior's Handbook, you know, <laughs> when nothing's wrong, something must be wrong. You know, it's yeah. just there's that niggling, you know, that that that, that thought yeah. in the back of our mind that just won't go away, and <laughs> and so joy itself can feel so uncomfortable that we avoid it. Yes, yes. And I want to read another quote since you brought it up from his Worrier's Handbook. Uh, I think this kind of fits. It says, an experienced worrier always clears out a block of time on Sunday evening <laughs> to map out, an in map out inevitable disasters for the week ahead. Regardless of the fact that every Sunday since your tragic life began, you've told yourself there's no way you're going to survive it, and yet you have, this time you got to really mean it. There's no possible <laughs> way you're going to survive this week. And let the circle continue. <laughs> that's, that's that uncomfortable with things going well. It couldn't possibly go well. There are things will go wrong, so I've got to be prepared. I can't enjoy the joy at the moment. It's it's like there's a comfort yeah in looking at the negative. It's almost like, well, I'm on solid ground at least. You right. know. <laughs> like the joy feels like, ah, uh, you know, I could fall at, you know, I'm so high, I could fall at any moment and I'm nervous. But it's just, you know, the bottom line is if we're to really savor joy, um, we have to be willing to be uncomfortable. We have to be willing to feel vulnerability. Yeah, because you could lose it. It's that fear, that, that the fear is right there tucked behind the joy. Mm -hmm. and, and for good reason, we live in a world where bad things happen, so we have a hard time just saying, well, I can just enjoy this freely. Well, or, or here's another one, even in Christian circles I've heard is, well, but what about other people who are in another country and they're doing terribly and what about the natural disaster over here and what about the tragedy over there like it's an excuse never to enjoy never to experience that joy yeah that's that's a good point that's another way our mind defends us is there's always something wrong to feel bad about yeah always in the world that we live in and and so uh there are some people that might feel guilty about feeling joy yeah. And, and that's another defense of the mind, you know, against it. 
But I, in the in the end, I think this the the one thing we can assure ourselves with is if I let myself feel this joy in this moment, yeah, it might be gone tomorrow, it might be gone in the next five minutes, but that that joy in that moment can't be taken away from me. Yeah. All right, one more excerpt. Uh, this is my last one, I promise. The Warrior's Handbook, Chapter 11. <laughs> Complacency is the mortal enemy of the warrior. If you examine your life and feel there's nothing to worry about, that just means a bigger worry is lurking in the shadows, waiting for you to let your guard down before it springs. You must be vigilant. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love his sense of humor. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, you know it's 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 always there. Uh, it reminds me of a story of another gentleman who who was in one of my gratitude classes, and we were talking about this concept of the the discomfort of joy, and he's like, "You just explained my wedding day," and I was like, "What? How how is that possible?" Okay, and and he said, "On my wedding day." I was so happy. I was so filled with joy. I was so in love. And I was standing there at the altar looking at my beautiful bride. And then the thought went through my mind, but what if she died? Oh my goodness. Just this horrible <laughs> thought. And then he said, I was, I was just like really down the rest of, the, of my day. And, and at the end wow. of the day, she, his wife comes to him and says, you know, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he didn't want to tell her. Because he didn't want her to think and be get down too to think about like him dying, you know, wow. and um, so it was just this really awkward experience for him, and that's another defense mechanism yeah, of the mind for sure. When we feel that discomfort with joy, we we feel a little out of control, yeah, and so to control it, we think of a worst case scenario so we're prepared. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Wow. So we've covered uh, the discomfort with joy. We've discovered uh, covered the barrier of the focus on the negative. What is our third barrier for today? So our third barrier is one that helps me understand you better, Rick, uh -oh. because it is a sense of entitlement. Uh, <laughs> I resemble that remark. That is true. So, Very entitled. So when, when people think that they deserve to be treated in a certain way and then their expectations are not met, they're very likely to feel resentment yeah. as a result. And, and these feelings of resentment are a huge barrier to the practice of gratitude. And, mm. and in a way, gratitude and resentment are kind of polar opposites. You yeah. know? Yeah. So the more you're in gratitude, the less, the more you're letting go of resentment. Uh, the more you're in resentment, the harder it is to practice gratitude. Yeah, and I think we live in a nation, uh, especially here in America, and I'm sure many other countries in the world where we have a pretty good life, we get pretty entitled. Yes. We get yeah. very entitled. Uh, you know, you think of some of these athletes, let's just use an illustration, a random person, like if a baseball player, he's worked his whole life to make it to the major leagues, and when he finally makes it to the major leagues, maybe he signs a three-year deal for $5 million. He's so excited, and life is going well. His dream has come true. But then as he gets to the end of that third year, he looks over, and he sees his teammate making $50 million. And suddenly he's angry. Why is he? I'm as good as he is. And then there's, you know, he's, he's holding out. He's getting an agent to negotiate and barter. And 
suddenly there's no gratitude. It's all, man, I got gypped, you know, I'm not making what these guys are making. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that is that is a classic illustration of what they call the law of habituation in the literature. And, and what that basically says is whatever consistently happens in our life, we take for granted. We get used to it, and so we no longer appreciate it. There's a mental exercise that we can try to do. This is a hard one, but I think it's worth attempting. And so we have to imagine, just imagine that you just showed up in this country, wherever you currently live, you just showed up with nothing but the clothes on your back. And, and you're here, and this is all you have. So just really try to imagine that. Get all the way down to, like, you just have nothing but what you're wearing. Mm. And then you meet somebody, and they just give you the house that you're currently staying in. They give you the car that you're currently driving. Mm. They give you your entire wardrobe that you currently have. They fill your refrigerator with food that you currently have. <laughs> they give you the job that you currently have. Um, and all of that. Now, are you going to be grateful for that stuff? <laughs> yes. Much more likely, yes. But yeah. but yeah. if you don't think in those ways, right. then no, you're not. Right. It's just what you expect. You reminded me, Will, I have this ongoing hatred uh, for Fairdale Road. Fairdale Road <laughs> is this one weird stoplight on my common journey either to work or to school for my kids. And when I go down Briggs Cheney, Briggs Cheney is a major road. And Fairdale Road is a minor road. In fact, it only comes from one side. It doesn't even cross over. But it's got a stoplight for some reason. And I can't tell you how many times we're flying down Briggs Cheney and the stoplight at Fairdale turns red right at the awkward time where I have to like slam on my brakes. And one car coming on to Briggs Cheney has held up like all four lanes of Briggs Cheney. And it just <laughs> drives me crazy. Every time I get near Fairdale Road, my blood pressure goes up. I'm like, I better not turn red this time. But I think it's that law of habituation and entitlement that I just think because this is the big road, I should be able to go fast and I should be able to get there and nothing should impede my progress. Well, I, I think that's a perfect example of entitlement is whenever we get angry for hitting a red light, that's entitlement. Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> the light should always go green, like like we're in a presidential motorcade or something where right. they just... <laughs> They've Every, closed the whole road. I'm on they it. They closed the whole road for us, yeah. you know. And um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just if you get annoyed when there's a long line at the grocery store or, mm. you know, just these types of of little inconveniences. And, and I think I think the, the way to get around this barrier is to do the best to try to bring our expectations down to zero or as close to zero as possible. Hmm. So let's say let's say on a scale of one to a hundred, your everyday life is like a 70. And it's it's pretty good. What that means is if if you su are surprised with a day that's like an 80, you're gonna be really happy that day. Right. That day is going to be good. Hmm. But if anything goes below 70, you're gonna be upset. 
Yeah. And yep, there it is. if it's just at 70, you'll be neutral. Yeah. And, and so if we could pull ourselves down to zero and just say, you know, anything that's above zero, I'm going to be grateful for. Oh, mm. look, you know, I, I just slept on a very comfortable bed. What a blessing that was. Yeah. I've got food in the, in the cupboard for breakfast. Thank you, God, for that, you know. Yeah. My car started. Hallelujah. You yeah. know, and I mean, we can we can rejoice, we can be grateful for these little things that we take for granted constantly. And you know, Will, at our age, I think one of the ones that's common is suddenly there's some health issues that crop up and you start to realize I have been very entitled about my health. Mm, yes, yes. We take so much for granted and we only notice it when it doesn't go our way. Yeah. And so or when we lose it. Or when we lose it. And then yeah. that's the setup for this sense of entitlement and yeah. for being unhappy. Let me apply this law of habituation to one more area of life that, that it really um, can be very damaging to, and that's to marriages. Mm. Uh, we're very, very easy for us to take all of the good things that our spouse does for us for granted and just expect it. And then if they fall short in any tiny little way, then we're upset with them. Wow. And if we can if we can come closer to the zero and wake up each day just appreciating every little thing that they do that blesses us, that we you know love about them, and that can dramatically change our relationships with anybody, but yeah. especially in marriages where this sense of entitlement can really play out in, in harmful ways. Yeah, I imagine not only marriage, but I would imagine any friendship or, you know, mm -hmm. relationship in the family with parents. I'm sure there's a lot of entitlement and, and habituation that we yes. just come to expect. And probably a lot of our arguments and pain come when those entitled demands or entitled expectations don't get met. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, Will, I've really enjoyed uh, going through these three barriers, the sense of entitlement, the discomfort of joy, the focus on the negative. So you've really helped me become aware of these three and how they do steal my joy, steal my gratitude, and keep me from living the better life mm. that could be better than I even thought. So <laughs> I appreciate you sharing those with us today, Will. It's been a pleasure to go through it. And uh, thank you listeners for joining us today. You've been listening to Everything is Better Than You Think, with myself, Dr. Will Johns, and my brother, Dr. Rick Johns. Join us next week as we look at the story we tell ourselves. Now, this one's going to be uh, very, very helpful, so we hope you'll tune in for that. And we look forward to seeing you next time. <laughs> <laughs>